You're listening to the PR Wind Down Podcast, the show for public relations professionals who are ready to see real change in the PR industry. We are your hosts, April White and Laura Schooler. Let's get ready to wind down. You're listening to the Trust Relations PR Wind Down. I'm April White, the president and founder of Trust Relations. And I'm Laura Schooler. Uh, today we're going to be talking to you about PR news, PR fails, and PR anonymous stories. Ooh, let's get ready to wind down. So Laura, I think you're going to yes. share the PR news of the week with us. I am. And I don't think anybody knows. I know I told you I wanted to talk about this, but nobody knows why. The Michael Jordan is going to be a NASCAR owner. And this has been 14 years in the making. You know, I always have a soft spot for so- sports stories. So I just think it's so great and it's so hilarious to me. NASCAR has, you know, for however long it's been around, known as like the redneck sport, right? Well, what kind of idiot, I mean, and they were huge. It was the biggest sport in the country at one time. I'm not sure if it still is. So if they're that popular among like that group of people, why they weren't opening themselves up to you know, the black community, for example, to potentially, who knows how, you know, double their audience or whatever, seems so strange to me. And so now you're seeing how brands and sports and all of these things, finally understanding that it's not only about racism, which is clearly an important issue, but it's about making more money. And the more people who are into your thing, the more money you're gonna make. So why would you cut off your nose to spite your face? So the fact that Michael Jordan, who is still probably one of the most famous athletes alive, even among you know young people now, even though he hasn't played for a long time, an owner is just amazing and such a great thing. And that's really why I want to bring it up. I mean, we just keep seeing example after example of this kind of thing, which is so good for PR and your bottom line. Right. Well, and, and it's really interesting coming on the heels of the Bubba Wallace news, right? Because isn't Bubba Wallace part of this deal? Right. Yes. And Bubba Wallace, just for the listeners who aren't familiar, there was a big kerfuffle a while, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, where he had come out against the Confederate flag in NASCAR and asked for it to be banned. And then after he had done that, there were reports that a noose was hanging in his stall in it, in the NASCAR location he was in. Laura, you heard about this, right? Yes. Yeah. And so essentially it was found by the FBI that it was not a hate crime. And in fact, that noose had been hanging there for months since October of last year. Oh, that's good. Um, so it had nothing to do. It was like, there was no way when that thing was hung there, it could have been, nobody would have known that Bubba Wallace was going to be in that stall, you know, right. six months later or whatever. So it was clearly not actually what it appeared to be. But it was big news at the time because, of course, it was, you know, given what he was doing and the perceived pushback that that created, which fortunately wasn't the case. But that said, I mean, I still think it's a really interesting move to have Michael Jordan as this, you know, black owner of a NASCAR team. And then he's got Bubba Wallace as one of the racers for, you know, which is the only 
basically the only known black guy in NASCAR, right? That's the current driver. Mm-hmm. But they're hoping, aren't they hoping as part of this, they're going to start training more black drivers and make it a more diverse sport in general? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you ha- you'd have to. I mean, that would be, have to be part of the whole um, strategy here. Because then, now it's like any sport in this country, right? Then once you start having the black players like you did in baseball and every other sport, I mean, you're just opening yourselves up to so many markets. With baseball, for example, how the world would be different if Jackie Robinson didn't play baseball I mean, the way it impacted culture, just think about all the baseball hats that are worn by so many people. And it's an integral part to like hip hop, right? All those guys are wearing mostly Yankee hats, but not only, you know, it's a whole thing. And if they never let, you know, and it just doesn't seem fathomable now, but if like they never let Jackie Robinson into the, you know, major leagues, like that, it would have been a whole different thing, the world. So sports, to me, the older I get, the more I realize how it's such a driver of culture in every aspect of everybody's life. Because every sport was initially white, right? Right. So I mean, you get everybody into all these sports and you just expand your audience. Right. So does this mean that we're going to have NASCAR be the biggest thing ever if it goes in that direction? Right. I mean, it could be. I mean... It's so crazy that it's taken this long. And also the fact that he's an owner, or, and I don't know what percentage exactly, is really interesting because that's where the power comes from. So I don't think like in baseball, I don't think there's any black owners. I mean, that's where the money is, right? And that's where the power comes from. So the fact that he, they're coming in both as an owner, as an owner and owner. a driver, right? Yeah, it's game changing. And that it's him. Right. But I think that NASCAR over the past decade or so has lost some of its share because they think it was like absolutely the biggest sport in the country at one time. But I don't think it kept up its numbers. So so this may also be a reason why they're like, oh, well, we got to do something to turn the corner. So I'm happy about this. Like I look at baseball now and it's another, I heard it on the radio again today too. The number of African-American baseball players in the majors has declined hugely i think it's only eight percent now most of them no it's tiny now and so they're really and i really somehow want to get into to helping this cause because the guys who are still playing are really passionate about it and i just think it's a really and i don't know why i don't know if it's because they went to play basketball and football whatever they get more recruited into that or it's easier to play basketball than like you know you're playing baseball you need a whole baseball diamond with like a mowed lawn and everything and if you're you know growing up on 145th street or whatever it's probably not going to be easy to, to to do that it's a lot easier to get a basketball though right but that still doesn't explain why it's been on the decline so anyway i think that that's interesting too but in the meantime the latino players have you know skyrocketed and Asian players too have increased but you know most teams have got you know a good like half or more of guys from the Dominican Republic etc but right. that has made it a global brand and they're always looking for new markets and it, it does change the sport but it also makes it more contemporary to what's really going on in the country and in the world. So do you feel like this is good PR for NASCAR primarily? Is that, or are you saying it's also just good PR 
for Michael Jordan and the black community with the NASCAR? What's the- what's uh, I think the it's good PR for NASCAR. Okay. And then I think it's good, period. It's good for the world. Yeah. And it's good PR for NASCAR. Yeah, and okay. I, it's, just, it's just so funny it took them this long. Right. Well, it's like they say, I just actually was being teased by my best friend about this. It was like, you know, you always have these thoughts, oh, I should have had this idea sooner whenever you have a good idea. Like, I should have started doing this sooner. Why haven't I always done this? Right. It happens when it happens, and you just have to be grateful that you're doing it when you're doing it, because it could have happened later. But I do, yeah, I do think the story's, you know, good for Michael Jordan, too. I mean, there was the documentary about him over when the coronavirus was like heavy duty that I watched all 15 hours of in like one sitting. No kidding. Yeah. So this is like a new chapter for him too. And I also think that it's good PR for the black community because it shows a successful athlete not blowing all of his money on stupid crap. Maybe he did blow a lot of his money on stupid crap, but he's still relevant. And now he's a business owner because you hear so many of these guys, they get huge money and then they buy, you know, cars that cost $500,000. And then 10 years later, after they're not playing anymore, they've got nothing. And it happens not only to black players, to white, to every, you know, all these players. And so that to see a guy who's, you know, investing in real business and doing real business mm-hmm. things this much later in life, I think is a good message to send out as well. Agreed. All right. I like it. Thank you. that was a good find let's see should we talk about what not to do from pr pros you know all right let's do it what shouldn't we do (laughs) all right i think actually this was your idea so when working in an agency setting don't just think about your own clients remember to keep the other clients at the agency in mind too when you have some ideas or come across opportunities which I think yeah. is our, is really good advice. But do you want to you want to kick it off? And I know that I'm sort of putting you on the spot back to back here. It's I mean it's kind of obvious to me now, but when I was younger, it was not obvious to me. And I also felt like, and so this is something that managers need to do. When I was younger, I was like, oh my god, I am so busy and I have so much work and I'm under so much pressure with the clients that I have. How am I thinking about? somebody else's client that's not even mine like i can't even think but actually it is so helpful to do it for a number of reasons one is you know you get back what you give so if you're giving to other people you know ideas and contacts and then you will get that back for your clients it will help you to be a better pr person because you'll always be thinking about how is this fitting into you know other other things that might not be front and center for you. And that's one of the ways to succeed in PR is to always be thinking for yourself and other people. It just ideas beget ideas. And then also it makes you stand out if you're in an agency to your managers as a above average worker, if you're doing that kind of thing. And then you'll have people pay more attention to you and probably mentor you more or move you up the ladder quicker, et cetera. Cause it really makes you stand apart from like everybody else who's not doing that. So it's really a do, but the don't is don't just think about yourself. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Which is good in general. No, I think it's true. And I think even just that kind of thinking is the way to succeed in PR, you know, that kind of creative matchmaking, because I think really in PR, what we're doing is, is matchmaking. 
but we're matchmaking narratives. So we're matchmaking, okay, here's a narrative we've got on behalf of this client. We're trying to find the exact right audience for it, not only in terms of the broader audience that that brand is trying to reach, but also the person that will speak to that audience as the reporter or the journalist behind it. Mm -hmm. So I think it just, if you're able to fine tune that ability to see these connections and make these, oh, this person, actually, now that I think about it, this would be great with this, and this would go great here, and this would go great here. I mean, I think that kind of thinking in general is is what leads people in PR to be the best at what they do. Yeah. So that's that's a good one. I think you made it kind of all the points that need to be made there. I try to be succinct sometimes. You were very I have, succinct. I have succeeded, I think, today so far in saying far fewer likes. Ooh. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> oh, God. So there's another PR don't. Don't say like. <laughs> Every other word. It's hard to train yourself out of it. But here's another don't. Just general communications. And a lot of women do it, and it is not your friend. Is make a statement, but it sounds like you're asking a question. Oh, do you have an example? Well, yeah, any statement. You know, if somebody asks you, you know, to well, keep me up to date on this client, it'd be like, well, I talked to the CEO yesterday. I have heard that. And it's bizarre. And it's like, well, did you or didn't you? Well, what do you think <laughs> about, you know, how should we go forward on the PR strategy? Well, I think that we should put out the press release on Tuesday. <laughs> Are you asking? Are you, and it just, and it, it's usually women, young girls, well, not young girls, young women who do it. And it's, I think, a combination of not being completely confident, women being taught that they shouldn't be too forceful and aggressive with their opinions. So it's sort of softening that. And, but it, it makes you sound like you're sort of a, a docile young, I don't know, weed dandelion. Yeah, I, but, I, com I completely agree with that. So that's a, that's a communications don't. So if you know, or if people have told you that you make statements that sound like a question, you have to fix it. And so that means before you get on a call with your internal team or external team, you have to make sure that you're up to date on what's going on so that you don't feel like you're not sure about something. And you are actually allowed to ask questions. And if it is a question, then you can say to your manager, well, do you think that it would be a good idea to put out the press release on Tuesday? Right. But the best advice is to make sure you're up to date on what you're going to be talking about or presenting before right. you do. I once worked with a girl who talked like one of the girls from Clueless. And I, I'm not even kidding you. And I, because of it, so this, okay, this is, let me see if I can figure out how to tell this story without being revealing. So I was convinced during my first meeting with this individual that they had to be an account executive or an SAE. And it wasn't until about a week later that I discovered that the person I had spoken with who spoke like that was an SVP. And I had no idea. Because she's like, oh my God. It's I like, so anyway, care. I'm thinking that if we could work on this account, it would be like great. And I think you really have what it takes to bring it to the table. 
So, I mean, I'm not even kidding. It was just like, I, I, at first I thought it was a joke, right? Like she's just, she's, no, she's not, no, no, she's not a joke. She's still talking like that. Right. And then it just, there was no context in which I put her into an authority role. Like into a really senior position <laughs> of somebody that you had to like listen to and report into. Yes. But I also kind of, it was one of these weird situations. I just kind of got thrown into, now meet this person, now be this person, now be this person, right? It wasn't like I had the names and the titles in advance. If I had done better research and homework, I probably would have had this figured out in advance. So this is partly on me, right? This is not a good look for me either. Right. But it's also not great that, I mean, if that was my impression, then what are the clients thinking? And can that person really be like a force? You know, don't judge a book by its cover, but I still, when you're a communicator and in senior positions, you just can't. No. No, and then this is another thing that it's making, it's making me think of. There's a fine line between being really confident with the client and showing that you're confident and leading that energy right. and just lying. And I see PR professionals cross that line way too often where you're actually trying to, to show them that you, you know what you're doing and this is our idea and this is how we're moving forward and this is our recommendation and putting that forward with confidence. Mm -hmm. But there's too many times that it spills over into basically bullshitting the client for lack of a better way of saying right. it, where you're convincing them, yeah, so we're doing this and everything's going great. And it, behind the scenes, things are really clicking and we're just going to have something for you in a second. And you don't want to scare the client and let them know that, you know, behind the scenes, we're having, uh, pulling our hair out and we're having a five alarm fire over their account because nobody's getting back to us. But at the same time, you don't want to just always lead with that disingenuous nature of, yeah. Or, or I've even seen PPR people bully clients before. I don't know if you've seen this, where they will actually bully the client into, oh, we, we're, we're right and you don't know what you're talking about. And this is why you should listen to us. Wow. No. Interesting. And that's another tactic I've seen work, which is always surprising that it works. But I don't know that it's a great way to instill long-term confidence <laughs> or, or develop long-term long relationships. Yeah. Wow. No. I've seen a client bully the PR firm, of course. Of course. I mean, we all have. <laughs> that is a common phenomena. But the other way, wow, that's special. It was really something. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's see. Should we talk about an industry mishap from the week? Yes. Is this going to be my responsibility too? I mean, we could just make it the Laura show. <laughs> it's hilarious. So yes. So they, and I do have a lot to say about this. Not only the obvious things. That's so, good. I'm, st I'm still on vacation. Right. This is a Laura show today. All right. So the PR fail of the week is that it's 2020 and there is an Anne Frank Halloween costume still being sold is completely insane and so inappropriate i can't get over it so a children's costume and the likeness of holocaust victim and frank is still being sold years after a massive backlash and after being pulled by other retailers it's so awful how did this even come into being 
I would like to know the uh, designer of said costume. Who would even know what that looks like? Like what? <laughs> so I say the company did this for publicity only. Because no kid in 2020 would even think of that, let alone know what that Mommy, even looked like. can I do Frank for Halloween? And then when you go to like the door, which I guess you're not gonna be able to this year anyway in most parts of the country, but be like, ding dong. Oh, what are you little girl? I'm Anne Frank, like <laughs> it's a, it has to be a, it has to be a publicity stunt. But then did you see in the story, it said earlier this month, Target in the U.S., Target, Target stores, the Target, removed a similar costume made by Smiffy's. We apologize to any guests who were funded by the, this costume. We removed it from Target.com and are sharing this feedback with the vendor. In addition, we are taking this opportunity to review the process we have in place before a costume is available for purchase on Target.com. So wait, what was the costume that was removed from Target.com? It was the, oh, it was the World War II evacuee, evacuee girl costume. Right, which basically is Anne Frank, right? <laughs> <laughs> Why? I, don't, I just don't, it's, I just don't understand. It has to be. But Target clearly didn't do it for publicity. They realized after the fact they shouldn't have that for sale. I think they had to have done it for publicity. I know what you're saying that like Target didn't make, but there's no, who would make this costume ever in any decade? Oh no, that, that's what doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's that it's still being sold is just, that just takes it to a new universe. But the fact that it ever existed. Right. And why any kid would ever want either think of it ahead of time or go to the store and be like oh that's what i want oh my god all right i just say that i hate that would Halloween be the most i do so too much. i do too okay i didn't used to i didn't yeah. as a kid i loved it as a kid as an adult <laughs> i hate it and I hate one it. of the reasons i hate it is because every costume for every woman since i don't know what year 1995 or something is sexy. It has to be the sexy witch or the sexy, you know, truck driver or this. What the hell? I don't know. The first time I noticed it, I went to a party, a Halloween party in Midtown in like 1990, I don't know, five or six or something. And I was dressed up like a 7-Eleven store clerk, like from New Jersey. Okay. I, a giant like double triple xl 7-eleven like actual shirt and this long black wig like what's his name the, the bus driver in the simpsons <laughs> and like a 7-eleven hat so i was like That's i was amazing. like a hideous dude right and right. i go to this party and every girl was a sexy kitten or sexy mouse or sexy whatever <laughs> and there i am like, like the bus driver from The Simpsons and every guy was like, oh, like it was, you know, Mean Girls? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When she, she goes to the Halloween party and she's got like the weird teeth and she's dressed like a scary witch and everybody's like, oh, like you're not supposed to actually dress scary. You're supposed to be a sexy witch. That was exactly how I felt at this party. <laughs> and ever since then. That is incredible. Oh, oh we uh, have a horror story. Yeah. Oh, let's do it.
Okay, here's our anonymous horror story of the week. Early in my career, I worked at a small PR agency where senior managers would, quote, motivate their teams by making veiled references to job termination in the event that someone, quote, couldn't keep up. Ugh. The company had just rolled out a new system for hours tracking. Being a conscientious employee who wanted to keep their job, exclamation point, I meticulously tracked the hours for each task I performed. When the time came for the end of the month reports, one account manager requested a one-on-one -on -one call with me where he slash she informed me that we'd maxed out our hours for one particularly challenging client. The manager asked me to falsify my hours report for the month to avoid, quote, getting in trouble. Oh, my God. I refused to be dishonest, stating that lying felt unethical, and offered instead to cease working on that account for the month to continue to work and track my hours honestly. The manager pressed the issue further, but ultimately relented, stating that he slash she should, quote, should have known I was that type of person who wouldn't lie. Oh my God. And began demanding to know whether I planned to, quote, tell on him slash her. Oh, lach. Fearing repercussions, I avoided the question and continued to track my time for the remainder of the month. Eventually, that client moved on to another agency, and so did I. <laughs> oh, God. Wow. Oh. Oh. That is... That is vomity. I mean... Whenever you get asked to do something unethical... In all of its permutations, you just, you can't go along with it. It'll, it'll get you in the, it'll bite you in the long run. So what kind of industry issues do you think the story raises? I've seen this before. There's an issue with doing internal PR at PR agencies mm -hmm. that crosses over into the same kind of weird gray line that we were talking about before where you're like lying to clients instead of just being confident. Yeah. And I think that there's too much backstabbing and in, internal vying for position and let me, I have to look good. So like make me look good. I, I, I felt like there was a lot of that at some of the agencies where there was sort of a, it was a shit roll downhill. So the people at the top, need the people under them make me look good and then the people at the top under the people at the top did the same to the next level and the next level and the next right. level it just kind of all went down it was more about looking good like you were doing what you're supposed to than it was actually just getting things done and getting the job done and making the client happy right so i guess that's a good question so even though this person was over servicing the client that's not unheard of ever. And so it's not the worst thing in the no. world. So no. it's almost like that person's manager, the manager who was asking, you know, telling them to lie, just didn't, was so not confident and should have just gone to their manager or the owner or whoever right. was above them and said, hey, there's a it's situation where we're really over-servicing this client. Is that okay with you? Do we need to readjust priorities? Should we, you know, do it for a couple of months? Do we, whatever. I mean, there's so many ways, but to put it on the like poor junior person who's just like, ah, oh, uh, I'm just doing what you told me to do is, but that's, it's just what so often happens with human beings, right? You want to put it on the, the junior person because you sort of have authority over them. You can like make them mm -hmm. do instead of facing 
potentially your shortcoming. But again, in this case, I don't even know if it's a shortcoming. Like, how many times? I, I mean, I talked to to you or what? You know, just to be right. like. This is, there's, you know, we're going to go over hours and you might say, we'll stop working until the end of the month. So we don't go over cause we can't, or I'm willing to go over this time, but not next time, or I'm willing to go over all the time because it's a great client for my brand. So this manager person just had no idea what they were doing. Right. It's not, that's not the worst thing that can happen in an agency is somebody over services. <laughs> no. no, no. And I mean, unless you're just not getting results and you're over servicing. And so you're, you but know, even in that case, you bring it up and you say, oh my God, we're doing so much and we're still not doing anything. And then you right. have to address it again. And maybe, right, maybe the team does need to change, but like, you can't just go on for, you know, so what if you make this, this poor junior person lie about their hours for all seven clients they work on? I mean, what are they going to work 15 hours a day? I mean, it's ridiculous, but yes, that's what a lot of people think. Yes, you should work 15 hours. So I think that the lesson there is there are so many ways to take the way an account is running back to your you know authority to try to re-strategize it that could ultimately lead to better things anyway mm -hmm. than to try to sweep it under the rug agreed yeah i mean i and i'm wondering so advice or insights for for listeners who are maybe in a similar situation i mean i i would say that what this person did was the right thing right yeah stick to your guns stick to your ethics and get out of there yeah well right because maybe it really is a horrible place where maybe that person had gone to the senior person who was like you know no or whatever and they were deathly afraid but in that case, you're just putting bad on top of bad on top of bad. And there's no way that's going to last very long. Right. No, and I've never, I don't know if it's just me, but I've never had luck of going to an HR person and outing something and then having it not blow back into some kind of disaster. Oh, don't go to HR people ever. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, HR people. No way. They're not there for you. No, they're there they're... for the, they're there for the owners and the executives right to not get in legal trouble that's the only right. reason that they exist so um in so that, it in that scenario, right so there's nothing to do i mean you could also jump over that person and go to their supervisor but that's a gamble too because that could come back to bite you in the butt too yeah so it's if it's really bad like if it's a really bad like matrix if everything is bad and everybody's scary and everybody's mean it is time to look for another job or just dig your heels in until you get laid off and then you'll probably get a severance and be able to collect unemployment and then get a new job. <laughs> I mean, just right. being honest. Totally fair. I think it's a wrap. Right on. Thank you so much for joining us for the PR wind down. And as always, do not forget to share your anonymous stories with us at any time. Our email address is located in the episode description. We can't wait to wind down with you again next week. Bye.